Hi, everyone. Welcome to the second episode of Life Origami Podcast with Alan Late. Today, we are continuing with a series of interviews uh, talking about how to make 2021 count for the business you love. And today, we are touching this aspect from a, an interesting perspective. Uh, it's, uh, it's a direction where, which nobody really touches when we talk about business. And today we're going to talk about business from the personal perspective and from the perspective of mental health. Today we have a wonderful guest. Uh, it's, uh, his, uh, his name, let's say, goes in line with the mental health comedian, uh, the conversations that he starts are life uh, and death situation, and uh, they can mean, right, the difference between a person uh, continuing their life or taking their own life. So uh, today we have as a guest Frank King. He is a suicide prevention speaker, trainer, five-time TEDx speaker and a coach. Uh, does speaker marketing uh, and coaches other people to speak, uh, as well as he's a startup comedian all the way back in 1985 he started. So he's a professional <laughs> speaker for 35 years. Welcome, Frank. I'm really honored to have you today as our guest. Uh, give your introverts, please. Oh, okay. I am delighted to be here. I, uh, yeah, I did start the day after Christmas, 1985, uh, doing stand-up comedy on the road. That was back in 85 to 95 in the U.S. There was a big comedy club boom. I mean, they were popping up like mushrooms uh, everywhere. And so I was able to, my wife now, my girlfriend then, I uh, said to her, want to come on the road? I'm going to be a professional comedian. Do you want to come along for the ride? Thinking she would go, oh, hell no. And she goes, yeah. So we got in the car and we were on the road for 2,629 nights in a row, nonstop, wow. no home. Well, you know, I knew I was born to be a comedian. People would say to me, tell me about yourself. And I would say, I'm a comedian. They go, no, not, who, not what you do, who you are. Well, at the risk of being redundant, I'm a comedian. It's, it, it, I knew from fourth grade uh, that I was going to be a comedian, 12th grade, my last year of high school, public high school, I did the talent show. I did stand up. I won. So I was, I was, I was certain that was going to be my path in life. When I got on stage the first time at an open mic night, amateur night, about halfway through my five minutes, I heard inside my head, you're home. So I, I feel very fortunate. I, I didn't realize that a lot of people never have that sort of epiphany. They never mm -hmm. have that experience where they all of a sudden realize they're lined up with whatever the universe has planned. Mm. And then, very nice. And then uh, the I've, I've reinvented myself a number of times after the club tour ended. I did radio briefly. I uh, got fired, as people do in radio. There are two kinds of people in radio: people who've been fired, people who are going to be fired. And then I jumped to the corporate comedy circuit in the U.S. They call it the rubber chicken circuit because almost every convention serves rubbery chicken for dinner. <laughs> and I did that for about ten years. Made really good money, stupid money. And then the last recession hit. Mm. Business dropped off 80%. We lost everything in a chapter seven bankruptcy. And that's when I learned what the barrel of my gun tasted like. When the speaking business began to come back, the meeting planners, event planners said to me, Frank, we love you. We can't pay you that kind of money just to be funny. You have to teach our audience something. And mm. I'd wanted to do that for a long time because the money's better when you're teaching them something. 
but I couldn't figure out what in the heck I had to teach anybody. And then I began to think about my near suicide and my family history of uh, generational depression and suicide. And I thought, you know what? I could speak on suicide prevention. Uh, so I got some training in suicide prevention. And in 2014, I did my first TEDx because I had to rebrand. I was a comedian. No, who's going to take me seriously? So at age 56, in 2016, I did my first TEDx and I came out on stage as depressed and suicidal. Nobody knew. My family, my friends, my wife, nobody had any idea. People with mental illness are often very good actors. And so, and I tell my story. It's sort of my origin story. Uh, so and- is, that, is that basically in 2008, it all happened? And there was a period of eight years where you've been getting some training and ready to actually do this thing, to come out and say what you've been through, right? Yeah, actually, 2010 is when I attempted or came close. Mm. And then in 2000, by 2014, I was, I was getting booked again, but they weren't paying me the kind of money, nor could they always offer me the engagement if I didn't have something to teach the audience. So during the, that 2010 to 2014, I was making a living, but I still didn't have a message content. And, and, and the last year or so of that period, I began to get training in suicide prevention. And then I did my first TEDx and I got two phone calls, invited to more TEDx's, you know, same uh, mental health topic, different, different bent on the topic. And then I applied for four more, got them all. Um, I've done five. I've been invited seven times. I couldn't do the other two because of a conflict on the calendar. So, but the first one allowed me to rebrand. Everybody took me, you know, you come out on stage, you tell people you have major depressive disorder and chronic suicidal ideation and that you know what your barrel of your gun tastes like. They take you seriously. <laughs> I bet. Wow. And... You know, people ask me, does being a stand-up comedian keep you from getting engagements as a suicide prevention speaker? You know, because you're funny. I said, no, you're missing the point. People want the information. They want the stories of lived experience. And if you can leaven it with a little organic, tasteful humor, all the better. Oh, yeah. Yeah, so it's, um, yeah. So, a matter of fact, one one time, only one time, uh, when I I get an inquiry, I go, well, how'd you find me? And she goes to Google you. I said, what by chance did you Google? And usually it's suicide prevention speaker dentist or suicide prevention speaker veterinarian. She goes, I Google mental health comedian thinking there can't be. And you know what? She goes, oh my God, there is one. So, <laughs> so, so <laughs> at, at, I, I sort of have that niche to myself. And in, in speaking here, they say the riches are in the niches. I, I, I believe that is regardless of what business you're in. Mm. I just, I saw a post this morning on LinkedIn. Guy says, um, I'm really doing well in my side hustle. Uh, happy to explain uh, in the comments, tell me what your side hustle is. And I wrote, don't have any, gave them all up. You need to pick a lane. The riches are in the niches. I think, yeah, I think a side hustle. I mean, if you have to feed the family, I understand. But because I mean, I'm, I don't know about you. I'm, I'm distracted by shiny objects. Oh, I can make money doing that. Oh, I can make... And a lot of entrepreneurs are very talented. So they could do pretty much anything they put their mind to, which can be a handicap because you're distracted 
so uh, yeah, I just I I picked especially the lane. right when you develop that muscle of seeing opportunity, you develop that muscle of actually understanding what the hell is going on around us. You you start seeing, and then this fear of missing out comes in, right? The fear of like missing the opportunity or picking the wrong opportunity and pursuing the wrong thing, and maybe like uh, I, I believe that many keep the side hustles just for the sake of not making the wrong turn and picking the wrong one. Yes, uh, fear of missing out, F-O-M-O, FOMO, fear of missing mm -hmm. out. And, uh, you know, it's the same thing I've been told on the dating apps. People on Match.com, they find somebody they're crazy about, but they keep checking to see if anybody else has hit their account. So, they're, you know, they're, we, I think we talked about this off the air. There's an economic term, because I, I have two degrees, two classes away from a degree in economics, uh, opportunity cost. If you mm -hmm. pick one thing, you're giving up another. And a lot of my speakers, when I'm doing speaker coaching, they're a little scared to give up, you know, well, I got a motivational speech and a networking speech and a, I go, you got to pick one. Well, what mm -hmm. if I'm, I'm not saying turn it down to somebody that calls you up and said, could you do your motivational speech? Say yes and go do it, but don't market it. Don't make that your, so mm -hmm. anyway, yeah, I'm not, you know, what I did was I looked around in the town where I live. I, I belong to a couple of chambers of commerce for a time. And I looked at the other entrepreneurs in the chamber of commerce, the ones that had brick and mortar businesses here in town. And I tried to figure out what is it? They're very successful. What, what do they have in common, these people? And I realized they all do one thing extremely well. Mm. And that's it. I thought, okay. So in 2018, four years after my first TEDx, I thought I'm a suicide prevention speaker, period, paragraph. And again, it, it allowed me to raise my fee again, because if you're a meeting planner and you want somebody to speak on suicide prevention, you're looking for an expert, not a generalist. Definitely. Definitely. You go to my website, it screams suicide prevention. Or if you go to my TEDx coaching website, all it talks about is how do you get a TEDx? So, you know, you want to be the expert in the, in the field. And so that's what, that's what I tell them. And as, I think as, that, as they say, right, be the go-to person. Yes. And eventually, um, for my speakers, the goal is to no longer be a commodity. Mm. You know, they don't just want a motivational speaker. They want you. They come looking for you. That's the dream is they hear about you or the, you know, somebody referred you to them and they come looking not just for any speaker on motivation, but so it's uh, rather That's than just being interesting uh, about this point uh, about actually mm -hmm. uh, stop being a commodity, stop being just one of the, one of the people who does it right. Uh, and uh, transitioning to uh, being the one, right. The, the one who they come to the one who they seek, what do you believe is the core um, that actually helps you to make that switch? There's a great book by a guy named Michael Port, P-O-R-T, Michael Port. <clears throat> it's called Book Yourself Solid. Mm. And it, it really has to do with people who have, you know, um, their business is run by the calendar, whether you do, uh, you know, you do nails or you're a comedian or you're a chiropractor. Um, he says the key is, He calls it the velvet rope theory at the high end bars and restaurants. They have a velvet rope and they only let certain people pass the velvet rope. He says, you want to get to the point where those are the only people you're serving your ideal clients that you would let pass the velvet rope. He said, now don't, don't turn the others away, R refer them to somebody who does something very well that they're looking for. A guy wrote me a, by way of AOL, I'm old, I got an old AOL account. 
And he said, I see you're in the customer experience industry. I'm like, no, not really. I didn't say that to him, but um, we're doing this thing. It's an HR, HR organization in Tennessee. And we thought about having you come speak on customer experience. Well, I mean, I could probably read a book, make it up and go, but I've got a friend who that's all he does. Customer experience. He's got a half day, full day, you know, a two and a half day deep dive. So I said, look, I got to tell you, that's not my strong suit. I attached his eight tracks for his speaking. You do one keynote, do a couple, three, half day. He's the guy you want and gave him contact information for him. So that, that to me is the key. You have to turn down business. It's, I mean, I hate to say that, but it's, I believe that is the key to, well, and I, one summer when I wasn't working the cruise boats, I decided to sell radio because I've been on the air. I understood the concepts. I, I, I do voiceovers. I write copy. So I did. <clears throat> and the, there was a construction company. They do kitchens and baths. And they're a high-end construction company. And in radio, they call it disqualifiers. And this company, if you're looking, you know, most people when they do something like that, a project like that, look at three bids, you know, take the high, the low, and pick the one in the middle. So I did a series of commercials for them where guy picks up the phone, Castillo Construction. I'm looking for three bids on my kitchen remodel. Click, phone rings again. Castillo Construction, I think we got um, disconnected. I'm, I'm looking for three bits. <laughs> Sorry, click. Uh, and then comes the voiceover. Look, here's the deal. If you're looking for three bits to do your kitchen or bath remodel, we're not the people for you. If you have a budget and a dream, give us a call. So what you've done is you've disqualified all the tire kicker, you know, looky-loo shoppers, and you're going directly now. Are they losing money on those three-bid kitchen bath remodels? Yes, but they've staked, a ter- staked out a territory. They are this high-end kitchen and bath. you got a dream and a budget. We'll make it work. So that, that, that I think, applies to most any business. You know, B, it's a friend of mine, a comedian's got a joke. You know what it is? We have, I don't know if you ever own one of these, but it's called a sofa sleeper. It's a sofa and a pull-out bed. Open up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And he goes, you know the problem with that? It's not really a good sofa and it's not much of a good bed. So it's, it's doing two things really poorly. Yes. Pick, pick, be a sofa or be a bed. You know, it's, uh, yeah. I really do think, well, and supposedly they asked uh, Warren Buffett and I don't know if it was Elon Musk or Steve Jobs, some other big time billionaire business person secret to your success and both of them uttered one word focus and again for me that's always been my issue because i could do a lot of things i could do voiceovers i could write copy for commercials i could sell radio i could do comedy but it wasn't until i you know became a speaker stopped marketing the comedy then became a suicide prevention speaker and then and i think this is important when it comes to ideal clients i picked four industries in the u.s that have a high rate of suicide and they're trying to do something about it So I'm not advertising to all industries, all associations. My my suicide prevention as a workplace health and safety issue, I I market to veterinarians, dentists, physicians, and the construction industry. All have high rates. All are trying desperately to do something about it. All have meetings, money, and use outside speakers. That's my ideal client. And I go through this with all my speaker coaching clients. You know, you're a woman. You speak on women's empowerment. Okay, you know what? 
<clears throat> pick women heavy industries, teaching, nursing, multi-level marketing is mostly women. Mm. They have meetings, they got money that they use outside speakers. So again, so it's a matter of doing this from com comedy and speaking to speaking to suicide prevention speaking to suicide prevention speaking this tiny little nation with veterinarians. <laughs> so you go deep, not wide. Mm. And I'm telling you, the oddest thing happened January 1st, 2018, when I, when I went suicide. And <clears throat> I began to, to get connected with people who I could help them, they could help me, but we're in the same industry. I joined a American Association of Suicidology last month for 50 bucks. And a friend of mine suggested I do that to network. Okay. Mm. And I was going to go down there to the annual meeting and be on a panel. And I got an email last week that said, we would like you to do a 15 minute TEDx style feature speech in front of 2000 people in my industry. I, 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 <laughs> I don't, I don't think that would have ever happened if I hadn't niched myself so mm. tightly. Yeah. Cause I've, you know, I got the lived experience. I've got the five TEDx talks on mental health. I got the comedy. So it just made a good fit for their, you know, for their convention. So, you know, this really well aligns with the idea where it's not just only about niching, but it's actually bidding upon your life's journey about what you really lived through in and out, right? What is like, what was in your life, uh, the most shaking moments and what were they about and build upon yeah. that? Because I've, I've listened uh, for so many people who are actually making an impact in their lives and in the lives of their communities and the world in general, they had a certain pivotal moment in their life. They've overcame it. They've learned mm -hmm. from it. They've developed some uh, unique skills, mindsets and ideas from that experience. And now they bid on it to help others overcome that as well. Yes. And you're um... ideally fitting that specific <laughs> yes. idea where your niche isn't just about focus, isn't just about picking something, but actually uh, analyzing your life experience and mm -hmm. bidding on what you truly know from your own experience. And that gave you the journey and everything opened up from there. Yeah, the universe sort of said, I almost hear my head. Oh, you finally got here. Great. Let's get to work. Uh, one of my clients, coaching clients for TEDx, does, he speaks on individuation. I've never even heard the word. Individuation in colloquial terms is a midlife crisis. Mm. He said, you've been living your life. Let's say you're the son or daughter of a physician. Oftentimes, there's pressure for firstborn child to go to medical school. So you've done what your parents ask you to do. You've gone to medical school, you've become a doctor or, you know, or maybe your spouse, you know, that really wants you to do whatever. So you're living up to everybody else's expectations, but the day comes for a lot of people where they're like, you know what? And the title of his TEDx is um, individuation. Now, what if who you are is not who you are? Mm. And I think looking into 2021, if there was ever a time to have that conversation with yourself Look, is who I am really who I am? I mean, the world is just like, you know, the, was it fruit basket turnover? Just oh, everything was thrown in the air and it's, you know, who knows where it's going to land. 
So maybe it would, maybe it's a good time to re reevaluate. hundred percent. Yeah. I mean, it's, things are changing very quickly. I mean, <laughs> ooh, I, I knew about zoom this time last year, but you know, I'd never actually done one and now I've done innumerable. So I think with great challenges, as somebody said, there are great opportunities. Mm -hmm. And so I think now is the time, you know, we got two weeks till 2021. And it's, you know, it's, it's pretty much a dead time in business, but, you know, because it's Christmas week, who's going to go to work if you can. And then that dead week between Christmas and New Year's, a lot of people take off. So time to buckle down and have, and, you know, the new year with your resolutions and whatever, and have a chat with yourself and go, look, mm. who am I doing this for? Do I really enjoy this? Is this what I was meant to? I do a thing on a plane when I, when I fly a long distance next to somebody, I chat them up and I don't talk about myself. I ask them leading questions. And one of my favorites is, what do you do? Well, I set up exhibits at um, conferences, you know, the big exhibit hall with the vendors. I set those up. That's our company. Well, I said to her, do you like that? And she goes, yeah, <laughs> you don't have to be, you don't have to be Freud <laughs> to know that that's very qualified. And I said, well, let me, let me ask you this. And I do this all the time. If I could wave a magic wand and you can make a living doing anything you want it to what would it be? And I can't remember what she told me, but she was all excited about it. It's almost as if she never even considered it was a possibility until I, you know, and, and so um, I said before we landed, now, what if you quit that job at, you know, setting up exhibit halls, would you starve? I mean, does your husband make enough money and do you have medical insurance? Oh no, we would, we'd be, we'd be okay. A little tight. We'd be okay. I said, okay. We parted company a year later. I got an email from her. You probably don't remember me. Well, we sat together and I set up exhibit halls, blah, blah, blah. And, and I told you what I wanted to do. And she goes, I'm doing it. <laughs> but it's almost, uh, Alan, as if you, you need somebody to come in. It's like the forest for the trees and go, you really want to do that? I could do something else. So I think you and I should, at this moment, give people permission to have that conversation with themselves, especially at 100%. this time when everything is in upheaval and decide if you know because the world the world's balanced on a knife edge you know if, if our current president gets an itch and, and and can actually remember the nuclear codes we may be all gone tomorrow um so i think now is the time to reassess and make decisions and and people go well, that's great frank what's the action item well let's say you've got a good job so forth but you really want to be doing something else I tell people, make it an avocation. I, I hate to say make it a side hustle, but, but you know, stick your toe in the water and see if, in fact, you really enjoy it as much as you think mm. you would. And then it, it's like speaking. It's a great part-time job because you can build the business because you control your calendar. You don't have to go anywhere you don't want to if you don't have the time off work or whatever. Uh, build a business to the point where you can make that jump from whatever you're doing now to speaking. Uh, and most of my clients are there. They're, that's what they want to do. They've got a job, but they want a TEDx to help them launch a speaking career part-time and then eventually go full-time. And so I, that would be my advice. You know, what, what do you, what do you love doing? Is it possible you can make money? Well, then, you know, do it, do it as a, uh, you know, as a hobby or avocation for a while and see if you really truly enjoy it before. <laughs> Don't quit your day job, as they say in show business. Um, just keep your day job. Let that be a life support system for your, you know, what you really want to be doing. Mm -hmm. 
Well, yeah, my friend it, who speaks on my friend who speaks on individuation, my client, mm-hmm. he came to that point at age forty. He was a banker because his mom was, you know, she was proud of having a son who was a banker, and his wife, she liked the status and the income that came with being a banker. And when he quit banking, his wife divorced him. His mother never spoke to him again in life. So there can be collateral damage. Definitely, especially He's like happy. when we are living not our life. And we decide to do it now our own way. We risk of facing the hard truth that people <laughs> yeah. around us aren't really there for us. They're there no. for themselves, right? Yep. And that's that's what happened to him. He's happier now than he's ever been. He's um he's doing coaching and training, which is what he was born to do. And 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 this individuation will be part of that. Coaching people through the process. How do you know? This is again on the cusp of 2021. How do you know if you're in the wrong place doing the wrong thing with the wrong people? And that'll be part of his speech. Okay, then if you decide that's the case, what do you do now? All right, and you make the jump, now what? So it's basically a three-step process he'll, he'll walk his clients through, find out. And he learned it from a coach. He was trying to get the next level at the bank mm. and he was well-qualified. And that was the natural next step for him, but he just couldn't seem to. So he, he did what a lot of people do. He hired a coach to help him get there. Second session, the coach goes, um, Anthony, it's not that you're not qualified. It's that you don't belong there. That's why you can't get there. Again, forest for the trees. He realized exactly that he didn't belong. In, and that started a cascade. And then he left banking and, you know, and the rest is history. So. Yeah, I think it's a great time. You know, it's, it's a, it's a change, wonderful time. Change of the year. You know, everybody, a friend of mine has a, there's a, there's a saying in the U.S., I'm going to slap you in the next year. And a friend of mine said, you know, my dad used to say to me, I'm going to slap you in the next year. I wonder if that deal's still good. Because <laughs> we'd, we'd all like to be there right now. Uh, so, yeah, I think, I think if you're an entrepreneur or considering being an entrepreneur, um, there's going to be all sorts of opportunities in part, sadly, because small business is taking a huge hit. That's you know, actually they- a very interesting idea that you're mentioning. I was thinking about like, generally, if we look around and we understand that there is a currently a situation in the market that there are so many businesses that have, it's not that they're bad people. It's not mm-hmm. that the product is bad. It's that the business model is outdated and they cannot sustain it with the current uh, situation in the market. What does that lead to? All right, we do have a lot of bankruptcies going on, a lot of mm-hmm. businesses closing down. As we talked with you also, like it has a chain reaction through the suppliers and suppliers yeah. of suppliers and everything else. But at the same time, we have to understand that when bankruptcies happen, there is such a wonderful thing uh, that is available to every single human being, uh, business or private people. There are auctions of bankruptcies. Yeah, and that's a wonderful opportunity for any uh, person who wants to start a business to obtain the needed equipment to run a business at a very affordable price. Yeah, and it's it's like there's a saying: wherever the door closes, another one opens. And I believe that if a door closes for one person, it opens for another. And even though that uh, it's a hard time for people around us, and we are looking to start a business we get more and more opportunities to actually start it because people with outdated business models get out of business and they open up the market space for you to enter. 
that's also a perspective that n- not so many talk about. Well, and in the speaking business, they think the National Speakers Association here in the States believes somewhere between 25 and 40% of professional speakers who were doing that full-time before the pandemic have left the business or will be leaving the business, whether they retire or do something else. So when, when the world returns to near normal and, it, and, the, you know, and the, the demand, <laughs> there'll be pent up demand and fewer speakers. Mm-hmm. And so that's why I tell my clients, look, you need to position yourself now for when the pandemic eases up and they begin booking live events again. Also, a lot of people don't think TEDx talks are happening. So I'm constantly telling my coaching clients, look, a lot of people don't think these are happening. I've got a dozen application links for TEDx's in the first two quarters of next year, and they're planning on doing them live or do a virtual fallback. Mm. So now's the time to apply because maybe the numbers of applications are way down because people don't think they're happening. So there's a, and my, my cousin owns a restaurant in Raleigh, North Carolina, my old hometown. And his father-in-law owned one in New York for years. And during the last recession, they survived, the restaurant survived. And the next two years were the best two years they ever had in the business because 40% of the restaurants in New York City had gone down the tubes and people had to eat somewhere. Mm -hmm. So if you can either stay in business or pivot and find another business, like you said, where you can pick up assets for pennies on the dollar, something you've been, a business you've been wanting to do, but you couldn't afford all the cap, you know, didn't have enough capital to make it happen. Mm-hmm. then, you know, step in and, and maybe now's the time to uh, take advantage of, as we say over here, a fire sale. <laughs> That's a uh, fire sale prices. You know, it, we had a big fire. We got to get rid of everything. So uh, mm-hmm. yeah, I think, I think th- it, that it's a horrible situation, but there is a silver lining. I do believe if you're willing, again, you need to have that conversation with yourself and be honest with yourself or call me up. I'll have a conversation with you. <laughs> what would you like to be doing? Really? Well, why not? I mean, now be a good time to start. We have to lose. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, and sometimes it takes somebody outside looking in. To uh, My business manager and friend said to me, Frank, you know, the live speaking thing, it's, it's going to be a while before it comes back because it's a long sales cycle. If, if Alan in January, the COVID disappeared, I'm not going to be working live events until late summer, early fall, because there's a long mm-hmm. ramp up for those conferences. He goes, now your TEDx coaching, you can do that from your living room ad nauseum. You could get 25 clients and, you know, it's an hour out of your day for each client once a week. And so he, it never even occurred to me. He goes, you need to ramp that up and just sort of put your mental health speaking marketing on the back burner. Don't change anything, but just don't market that. And so that's what I've done. But I didn't see it. (laughs) He, you know, he, he looked in and yeah, you know, this is what you need to be doing. And, and it turns out it's, it's keeping us afloat. So yeah, I think it's really a, really a good time for that self-examination. That's a very interesting thing that um, you touched upon actually uh, having the support system in the surrounding to um, get those insights, to start those conversations, to get things moving out of your head onto paper and into realization. And we're going to get to that uh, in a uh, in couple of moments. I want to talk with you in the direction of um, 
actually having a busy lifestyle, like taking into account the entrepreneurs that um, are build, building the business that uh, they love. Every time we we scale, every time we get more uh, more things going, um, in many cases, people set the business as a number one priority and everything else in life starts to suffer, right? Either, either the relationships, uh, family, health, and many other things. Now, um, let's talk about actually being able to manage to be in all of those spheres because they all need their separate attention. As I like to point, pinpoint, like we have those uh, four major things in life. Like we have learning because we need to develop everything. Uh, but at the same time, we have relationship, we have business and we have self-care. And all of them need focused attention on a weekly basis. Now, let's look at how do you manage that in, in your business? Well, Alan, <laughs> this, is, uh, this is slightly embarrassing. Um, my wife is off on Wednesdays and Thursdays. And I schedule all my Zoom calls for the time of day, which is 3 to 6 p.m. over here on the Pacific you know, Pacific time zone, because that's my least creative time of day. I can sit and chat on the phone from three to six, but I don't, I wouldn't do that in the morning because that's when I'm, my brain's really cranking. Okay. Now it did not occur to me that what I should, because you know, I control the calendar. It's called Calendly. You can take days off the calendar or periods off the calendar when you're not going to take spoof calls. This is really embarrassing, but I think it drives home the points of somebody on the outside looking in. As you were talking in my head, when we get done, I'm going to my calendar and I'm blocking out Wednesdays and Thursdays. I'm taking <laughs> no calls. It never even occurred to me because uh, she would always ask me when her day off came up, do you have any calls this afternoon? Oh, yeah, I got to go. <laughs> but when you said that, looking out, looking from the outside in, Oh man, you may have saved my marriage. I'm telling you. That's um <laughs> Oh, that would be wonderful. I I believe yeah, well, yeah, I, I'm a strict believer. Uh I find it hard for myself as well. But yet again, uh, our life is a holistic thing. It isn't just business or just relationships or just self-care. Uh, and uh, we do need to pay more attention uh, into each of those fields. Uh, but additionally, let's, let's think uh, a little bit even more deeper. Like, uh, do you have any uh, like life hacks or additional insights yeah. for listeners in, in the finding balance? Yes. Uh, yeah, I got to put that on my to-do list. Fix the calendar so you're not busy on Wednesday and Thursday. Thank you very much. Alan. And that, by the way, I was never a big believer in coaches, but my business coach said to me, I know you're teaching TEDx to people for free. That's got to stop. Charge for it? Huh. And then, of course, my friend said, you know, the live speaking is not happening, man. You need to refocus. Again, somebody outside a coach. Look, so I, I do now believe the right coach at the right time can make a huge difference. So let's say I'm your life hack coach. And here's why it's important and why I'm well qualified. I've been, I've been doing podcast after podcast after podcast wrapped around a keynote that I have called Social Distancing and Staying Sane. Do not worry about your mentally ill friends. Because if you're high-functioning mentally ill, you have a self-care plan, you have other techniques, you have therapy. Because if you have mental illness, as I do, we wake up in a, an uncertain world every day and have to figure out a way to get out of bed in the morning and put your feet one in front of the other. And, but see, neuronormal or neurotypical people who, before the pandemic, had no issues 
like that. I uh, had gone to work at eight, came home at five, you know, very structured. The all tossed into the air, working from home. Actually, your home has become your office. You're not working from home. Your home is your office now. So I, I, I have a five, five things in my self-care plan. Mm. Diet. I'm on the keto diet and I'm, I do intermittent fasting. I eat once every 24 hours. And then exercise behind my little TEDx thing. I've got an old uh, Nordic drag and you probably wouldn't recognize it because it doesn't have any dirty clothes hanging on it. And it's a classic look and uh, diet exercise. Good night's sleep. Very important. Meditation. I meditate twice a day. Mm -hmm. It's a guided meditation called the catnapper. Takes you down and brings you back up. It lowers your blood pressure, cortisol. Kind of oh, a very interesting. Mental... I would love a link. I will share it in the comments below so artists can also find it. Interesting. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah, it's called the Catnapper by the Monroe Institute. Mm. And what what's happening underneath the um, the guy talking and the sound of the ocean? There's something called a binaural beat. And what it does, that beat underneath all that helps to sink the hemispheres of your brain. So yeah, it's the Cat Never by the Monroe Institute. How long the meditation you're taking? 29 minutes. 29 each. Yeah, it goes down, takes you down. And and then at the end, it brings you back up. And the, as they count down from 20. That's and very interesting. Uh, actually, it takes into account, like if we look at the sleep cycles, the first 30 minutes is light sleep. So meditation for 29 doesn't allow you to go into the, the deep sleep mode. Very interesting. That is correct. And I mean, I've been, I've been a uh, big napper forever. My whole family uh, is a, a, I thought about Alan writing a book someday called um, snooze you win Uh, because, because it's a lost art. It really is. Let's see if I can find it here. I'll put the, I'll put it in the chat. If I can find it, the Mm -hmm. cat napper. Catnapper, okay, let's see, MP3. MP3. I, I, you know how long I've been doing this? that one, Alan? I did, did it when it was a cassette tape. Wow. <laughs> and, then, and then a CD. And then, uh, here we go, Catnapper. It's called a Hemi, H-E-M-I, Hemi-Sync, because it sinks, sinks the hemispheres of your brain. Mm-hmm. Downloads about 15, 16 bucks US. Uh, let's see, that's not the right one. Yeah, so it's, I mean, it's, and, and the thing is, Having done it that long, Alan, um, the, the guy just starts talking some days. And before he's through a paragraph, <laughs> I'm out. Uh, <laughs> and I've got a friend who's a hypnotist and I've volunteered. You know, I've been in his show and I've volunteered to be a, you know, um, a subject. And I am a great subject for a hypnotist because of all that practice dropping in, you know, doing the catnapper, I'm the first person out on stage. I'm, you know, I'm gone. I'm, you know, I'm in, I'm in that state. So it's, uh, <laughs> anyway, let all me right. put it in the, I'll put it in the chat box for you. So we've covered basically diet, exercise, meditation. And what were <laughs> the other two? Uh, the other one is medication. Hmm. And, uh, you know, people are, a lot of people are four square against medication. It's just, a, you know, it's just a plot by the pharmaceutical industry to sell medicines. Well, 
I didn't take any medicine until I was 60. I, I used a supplement called SAME, S-A-M-E. It's got a long chemical name, but it's it's good on mild depression. Only two side effects, good for your joints, good for your liver, so no negative side effects. And it, it took the edge off of the depression for me daily. And then my wife, when I hit 60, you talk to your doctor, see if he's got any meds. So I did. And three weeks after I started taking them, I'm thinking, what was I waiting for? Again, it doesn't make me giddy. It just helps me manage the, you know, the depression. Hmm. And nowadays, if you get an antidepressant and it's not working, you can have a DNA cheek swap and they take your DNA and they try to match it with the antidepressant that'll work best with your metabolism. Oh, wow. So you, yeah, you get a lot less of that. Go on, not working, taper off, go on, not working, taper off. Yeah. If you type into your Google search, um, DNA cheek swab, depression drugs, you'll find five, at least five companies that do it. It's like a couple hundred bucks U.S., um, here in the U S most insurances cover it. And it's just a way of narrowing down that list of anti. And the reason I mentioned it is, um, because neurotypical people, neuronormal people wouldn't have a self-care plan. And because of the pandemic, I believe there are thousands and thousands of people in the U S who are situationally depressed because of the uncertainty of the pandemic. And they have no, they may not have any idea why they can't get out of bed in the morning. Cause they've never, they've never seen or felt what depression looks like. And so I say, well, if you can't get out of bed, get a telemedicine appointment with a mental health professional. And if medicine's indicated, then, because a lot of people think if you start taking an antidepressants, it's going to be a life sentence. No, once the pandemic eases up, you taper off, you may never use them again. Just use them, you know, to get as you long as the- right, you get it prescribed from a psych- psychiatrist, right? Yes. And if it doesn't work, mm-hmm. get the cheek swab. Because mm-hmm. um, here's the problem with the psychiatrist, uh, Alan. They only know generally about drugs, what the drug salesman told them. So always ask your pharmacist. They know far more about the, you know, side effects and what you shouldn't be, should or shouldn't be taking with them. And, but yeah, if it doesn't work, I would get the cheek swab. All right. So that's medication. What, one more thing you, you had in your regimen? Yeah. Gamification. Okay. Gamification. And what it is, is you make getting out of bed in the morning a game. If I can't get out of bed, well, I make a list of six things, a to-do list. And the game is, as soon as I scratch off number six, I don't care if it's three in the afternoon in broad daylight, I can go back to bed, pull the covers over my head and watch the second season of The Mandalorian uh, because I win. It gets you up and moving forward, which is not, you know, a cure, but it is therapeutic to, to get up. You know, sometimes it's just a matter of, getting up and getting moving and you yeah, know just you know the automatic action like one of the first stages if you're you are feeling lazy you are feeling like depressed or not wanting to get out of bed just doing an automatic action like take a shower just get out of bed take a shower like they say if you want to start exercising but you're too lazy to do it just get out of bed get dressed without the need to go out just the idea and yeah. mental fixture of getting dressed will already put you in the right mood to then decide, are you really wanting to go out? And in most cases you will, because you already got dressed. Why not go out now and for a walk, for example, in the morning? Well, and I do, well, the, the gym is about 25 minutes from my house when, when you can go to the gym. And so the game there is, if I get myself dressed up, you know, my gear and go to the gym and walk in, all I have to do is one repetition of one exercise, I can turn around and go home. However, 
I've never actually exercised that. I'm usually there an hour, hour and a half. But that, but the but having the possibility, it's my, if I you know my, I can win. I go one rep. Thanks very much. Goodbye. Uh, it gets like I said that action. Once I'm there, you know I'm going to work out. Although if I didn't feel like it, one time the last gig I did March 13th, I arrived in Chicago on the 12th. I was exhausted. I went down to the gym in my gear. I got on the elliptical runner and I thought, man, all I want to do is go to bed. So I, I did the elliptical runner for a minute <laughs> and then I'm done. See you in the morning. Next morning, got up, did an hour. Uh, it's the only time I've ever exercised that, but that game, that gamification got me downstairs to the gym mm. and I pull, I pull, I pulled my, I, I, all right, a minute, I'm done. I'll see you tomorrow morning. So yeah, so Very that, that's an, another technique that people with mental illness. Oh, and the, the last thing is they ask a guy who's in the space station for a year by himself. How do you handle that kind of social isolation? He said one word routine. He goes, I get up same time in the morning, go to bed same time at night. I eat my meals roughly same time, exercise same time. I've got a schedule. He goes, I, if I didn't have a schedule and a routine, I would just go out of my mind. So it's very important, I think, especially now when almost everybody's schedule is nothing like it was in February. Uh, it's it's 9-11 happened on one day and we began to rebuild. The last recession happened over a week or so and we began to rebuild. This thing you know, surge, no, second surge, no, Thanksgiving, <laughs> Christmas. A friend of mine put it this way. Frank, if I ask you to run 20 miles, could you do it? I go, it won't be record time, but yeah, I could probably pull it off. He goes, you know why? Because at 15 miles, you're thinking to yourself, I've only got five to go. I can do this. However, if I said to you, Frank, I want you to run. How far? Don't know. When can I quit? Got no idea. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to be a little less enthusiastic about putting my Nikes on and head out the door. And that's kind of where we are with the pandemic. We don't really know how long we're going to be facing these things. So again, a great time. You know, the end of the year is always a good time for reevaluation anyway. But this year in particular, because it's so topsy-turvy, everything turned upside down, black is white. You know, it's, yeah, it's just... Yeah, I definitely. I believe you uh, in the sense that uh, even looking at the perspective of uh, how do we usually approach our uh, our planning for the future, we usually like many have like, okay, this year now I will do that kind of thing, like New Year's resolution and all that crap, right? But what they do is they plan for the whole year. They don't have anything that will be a deadline in January. Mm -hmm. So they start and then they move through January, February, March. By March, they didn't do anything. And then they go, ah, there's still time. Now it's summer. And then you're like, oh, I didn't do anything. They feel bad about themselves, but it's not the end of the year still. Then they are already in October and it's, oh, shit, it's again New Year. And in December, they're like, ah, oh, fuck it. Uh, yeah. let's go to the next year's resolution anyway, well a friend of mine a speaker says resolution is good commitment is good but consistency is better mm. you know so because I don't know how much time you spend in the gym but I, I spend a great deal of time in the gym and every January for the first two weeks or so it's packed you know all the new year's resolution types mm. by the first of February we're down by about half by the end of February 
we may have picked up a couple of people, you know, hardcore, but it's still pretty much just the regulars from, from, from December. Uh, same thing when I used to do cruise ships. The first morning out on the cruise ship, they have a gym on every ship. I would go up to the gym and every machine is taken, you know, and a couple of days later, you know, and then by the time we're done, it's still, the, it's only the same six or seven of us. <laughs> you know, I've, I've always joked that there's never, uh, see, there's always a line in the Lido buffet. There's never a line in the gym because, you know, they, people have good intentions. And the, the shame of that, Alan, is, is a cruise ship would be a great place to start an eating and, you know, exercise program because you have such a wide variety of food made to order. You could do the keto diet and eat nothing but salmon and chicken and whatever. And, you know, because you can order anything you like. And the gym is steps away and they've got trainers there to help design you a program. So it would be a great place to begin an eating and exercise regimen. But of course, you know, people don't go on the cruise to cut back on calories. <laughs> or, or start exercising. Or start, yeah, they want to see the sights. So uh, yeah, so that's, those are my techniques for, you know, and also I think you need to, if you're having, if you're struggling mentally, you need to surround yourself with friends, uh, trusted people you love, know, and trust who uh, you can confide in them how you really feel. You and I were talking about, because mentally ill people, oftentimes if you ask, you asked me this morning, how was I feeling? And I said, I'm wretchedly depressed. And I felt comfortable telling you that because I didn't, I did I got the feeling you're not going to judge. You know, you're not going to should all, what they call should all over you. You should do this and you should do that. You're just going to listen and ask me what that's like, you know, and, and uh, what are you doing to, you know, to, to blunt the depression? Uh, you need people in your life like that. Mm-hmm. My partner at the gym is like that. My wife is like that. It's like a, it's like being a race car driver. You got to have a pit crew. So when the wheels fall off, you know, they're there with the air. <laughs> uh, so here's the deal. Uh, I told you I had a funny story about the Uber driver. I was in Sacramento. I did two, three hour suicide prevention CE trainings. That's a long day for a speaker. And so I was exhausted. When I get exhausted, the little editor in my head goes to sleep. And I'm liable to tell people when they ask, I'll be blunt. So I get in the back of the Uber and our eyes lock in the rearview mirror. Nice young guy. And he goes, hey, man, how you doing? I go, I'm depressed and suicidal. How about you? <laughs> you can see it in his eyes. He goes, what am I supposed to say to that? As he's pulling away. I go, do you really want to know? He goes, yeah. You're supposed to ask me if I have a plan for suicide. So he thinks about it for a second. He goes, do you have a plan? And then, then he goes, does this involve Uber? Oh, <laughs> brilliant. He thought I was going to take him with me. That wouldn't be already a suicide. It would be a homicide. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. I'm sure he told that story to his fellow Uber driver. This guy got my, and he asked him how he's doing. He said, he's suicidal. And I, he's got a plan. And, uh, but every now and then I just like to, you know, if somebody asks how I'm doing, I just, especially if I'm tired, I don't want, I don't want to put a, you know, my game face on. I'm fine. Living the dream. Blah, 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 blah. Mm. So yeah, it's, it's, but you know, don't want to, almost always do not want to burden somebody with those issues. So I just say, I'm, I'm, you know, that's an interesting question. I, I said to you uh, in, in another call that I want to pick that up. Um, I believe that, uh, as you said, right, uh, it was researched and one third uh, or oh, yeah. two thirds, right, uh, suffer from depression and suicidal thoughts in America. Yeah, uh, one third and- of all entrepreneurs in the US, two studies I read, actually. 
Mm-hmm. And, and the question is uh, to all the listeners that do feel uh, heavy, who do feel down or feel that they need help, what is available to them if they don't have a trusted and supporting surrounding? Well, it depends on where you are. Uh, in the U.S., we are radically short of mental health providers. Um, and of course, we don't have a national health plan. So even with good insurance, the co-payments and such, you know, the, what you have to pay out of pocket can be prohibitive. The good news is in the U.S., you can, I'm in Lane County, Oregon. I go in and I Google Lane County, Oregon, free mental health care. And what comes up is a list of mental health providers. And they're not all free because, you know, it's keywords. And it starts usually off with the Cadillac plan where you have to have really good insurance and it's going to cost you a lot out of pocket. And it goes all the way down. And there are always several that operate on a sliding scale. And so you tell them how much you're making. Usually give you a couple up to six appointments free to begin with. Then they set up a sliding scale. So based on your income, you can afford to come see them. Some are completely free if you're just, if you don't have a job and you, um, so I think if you are struggling, first thing you need to do is get an evaluation. Is it depression? Is it bipolar disorder? Is it schizoaffective disorder? Is it, and I'll recommend that you get a physical as well. Cause I have an acquaintance here in town who was terribly depressed, had a physical, turns out his body can't process iron. So they had to put him on a, what they call slow iron time release. And the, the symptoms of the depression disappeared. It was presenting his problem with iron was presenting as signs of depression. So it's rare, but still I would get a physical work work up, you know, just to make sure it's not something organic. And then that, that's a, that's a good point. One, one of the things that uh, I've also uh, looked into uh, there are uh, scientific proof of the idea that uh, the, biggest amount of serotonin that is produced within our body is produced in the gut. And mm-hmm. if you have a disorder in your microbiome, you're actually having a really uh, high chance of developing uh, a mental illness, uh, a ment- mental disorder, especially depression, because you're just not getting the needed level of, uh, of hormones and uh, other nutrients processed and produced in the gut. And as you said, uh, having a health checkup, especially uh, the gut microbiome checkup can uh, effectively and potentially without uh, medication or whatnot, show signs that you actually need to dietary uh, regimen Mm -hmm. rather than anything else. And that will do a lot for you, just like as you gave an example of the iron processing deficiency. Mm -hmm. Yep. It's not, you know, it didn't happen all that often, but it does happen. So that's why I always recommend get a mental health checkup and get a physical health checkup in case it's something like I said, in the gut, in the biome, your body's not processing something that's necessary for creation of serotonin um, or uptake of serotonin, you know, sometimes. So it's, yeah. So I, again, I take a more holistic approach. I believe in medication, but I think it should be part of, well, if you have a self-care plan, diet, exercise, good night's sleep, medication, meditation, the first, you notice the first four had nothing to do with medicine. Mm-hmm. Um, now there are people who just want to take a pill and I, I think that's short-sighted i think you need the other you know good night sleep diet exercise and the books that we've written on men's mental health emphasizes that and we compare the brain to an automobile an automobile needs schedule maintenance your brain needs schedule maintenance automobile you put bad gas in a car 
it's not going to perform as it should might even quit. So you put bad food in your body, it's going to have a similar effect. So, you know, you need, you need to, you need to fuel it. Well, you need to maintain it. Well, you need to prepare in advance. When you buy a car over here, you get AAA American automobile association. Cause you know, even if it's a new car, someday you got a flat tire, like your keys in the car, run out of gas, something you're going to need a tow. So you prepare ahead. Mentally ill people who are high functioning are always planning ahead for when the wheels may come off. Cause you know, it's it, that way you're ready. Your friends and family are ready. And, you know, they can step in and you've got your support system up and running. So, yeah. All right. Let's move on to uh, ideas about uh, actually making decisions and setting priorities uh, when we're talking about about finding balance in life. Right. And um, I believe that this question will go uh, towards more business planning and decision-making rather than uh, other stuff in life. And I would love you to share how do you make decisions and set priorities uh, in what you do? Well, I listen to people like you when they say, you know, family's important. Oh my God, I could fix my calendar so I don't do anything on Wednesdays and Thursdays so spend time with my wife. Thank you, Alan. Uh, I think it's important to get help from the outside. I was never a big believer in coaches until because i know it all you know until my first my business my business coach said you know frank you need to charge for tedx and my friend who's a business coach said you need to focus on so i think i think it probably is important to make your plans for the new year and then run it by a trusted advisor and matter of fact there i don't know if you know this but in oregon come january of 2023 psilocybin will be legal for mental health treatment that's magic mushrooms Mm, yeah i heard it yeah yeah in microdoses so i got i was talking to a guy in colorado who um he grows vegetables um i can't think uh from which he microgreens yeah exactly where the broccoli only grows for two weeks and then when it's just jam full of nutrients Mm -hmm, rather than just mm -hmm. being water and fiber he's got a micronutrient a microgreen company and when he heard that Oregon was going to go and legalize psilocybin and you have licensed facilities, but see in Oregon, it's called seed to sale. It all has to be Oregon based, Oregon domiciled, Oregon citizens. You can't have a multinational come in and do it. So he and I were talking about it. Well, he wanted to get together and, you know, for an organizational meeting. So I invited my friend who told me I should be marketing the TEDx because I like for him to be in charge of my time and my money because mm-hmm. he was just helping me with the money. But I thought, you know what? One of my problems as an entrepreneur is, is managing my time. Interesting. So I want, I want to go in there to listen to the, you know, what, what our idea was and tell me, was it worth my time mm-hmm. to go forward, even in an organizational sense? And so we hung up from the Zoom with those guys and Glenn goes, oh my God, ground floor, psilocybin in Oregon. Yeah, we need to move this process forward. And so he he thought it was, you know, it was worth my time and his time, at least to continue the conversation. Mm -hmm. So I think for entrepreneurs, you need somebody taking a look at everything you're doing. You know, having a support network of trusted advisors or mentors or close uh let's say peers who you can bounce ideas off 
and get valuable insight and external perspective. Yes, especially when it comes to managing. That was one of the most difficult things for me as a comedian and a speaker is managing my time because your time's your own. Mm. And, you know, it was like you said about, well, you know, you set the resolution. It gets to be February. Well, we still got plenty of time. Get in the middle of summer. We still got plenty of time. Entrepreneurs, I think, have that, you know, my time's my own. I've got all day. I've got all week. I've got all, you know. (laughs) Well, you can't think like that. I think if if you make a, everything I do now, time-wise or money-wise, I run past Glenn. Because Because he'll tell me you're wasting your time. You know, you don't need to focus on that. Let that go. And money, I wasn't great at managing money. So my wife calls Glenn the hammer. If I have an idea, first thing out of her mouth, run by Glenn. Run by Glenn. And we started the year with $75,000 in credit card debt. And right now we have zero dollars in credit card debt. Because Glenn said, look, the mortgage rates are way down. You've got lots of equity. You're paying credit cards 18, 20%, maybe 23%. You can borrow money for 2.99 on your house, pay off the credit cards, turn all of them in but two, one for you, one for your wife. And, you know, cause you're never gonna get out from under otherwise. And so we did. And, and so any, any, I think you need at least a trusted advisor who has, you, you know, who really cares about you mm. and is willing to tell you the truth um, whether you pay him or not, <laughs> I don't pay Glenn anything except, you know, return the friendship, but take a bullet for him, uh, not in an organ in fleshy tissue. But um, and so he, that's what he does for me. And I think entrepreneurs really need somebody to keep an eye on how they're spending their money. So that's is, financial consultancy. In a, yes. In a big and, the, and, you know, it occurred to me this morning when I was thinking about the money. Actually, it occurred to me before we had the psilocybin conversation with the guys in Colorado. I thought I need help managing my money. And if time is money, then I need him to step in and go, this is something we should spend time on, or you need to quit doing this because it's not, it's not paying off. Um, you know, it's, and just ask hard questions. Okay. You did that. Now, what was the return? Can you draw a straight line to a booking based on that marketing you did? No, then stop. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, that's, that's good. Really good. Two points having that uh, trusted advisor, mentor, or a peer who you can bounce ideas on and having financial advice, uh, because that's true. Uh, I I heard a lot of stories where people are actually making good money, but they're struggling to meet their uh, ends meet, right? Because they just don't know how to properly manage. And uh, as you said, uh, having credit card debt, and I believe a lot of people... Uh, especially in US, are struggling with credit card debt because it's just widely available. And yep. uh, when you get into it, you don't notice it, how it ramps up. And uh, having that financial advice of how to get around it and uh, eventually get off the hook, get off the needle of the credit cards and make, <laughs> yeah. and make, make really thought through well uh, investments right into your future and then using the money that is coming in in the right way and uh, actually not just saving but actually investing it wisely mm-hmm. and utilizing it wisely that's 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 a really good advice there for sure well and my wife 
and I inherited um, $20,000 from an elderly friend of hers. We'll probably get it sometime early next year. And I said to Glenn, what are we doing with it? He goes, you're paying down the mortgage. Um, and so it looks like if we use that, and then we had some smoke damage from a wildfire nearby and the insurance company will cut you a check. You know, you get an estimate on what it costs to clean the house and then the insurance company will cut a check. Well, you know, I can buy a lot of detergent and mops and whatever. Uh, it turned into about $39,000. So we're going to pay down another big chunk, put some in savings, some in the operating account for, you know, monthly, whatever, because, you know, we're not getting a lot of income from speeches. And then a big chunk of it's going down on the mortgage. So we should have the mortgage paid off, thanks to Glenn, by... March of 2024. Oh, nice. Three years from now. Again, he said, you want to go into, you know, your later years with a mortgage paid off and no credit card debt. That way everything goes into savings and investments from that point on. Hmm. Again, I needed somebody on the outside because I just, I, you know, smart about th some things, dumb about money, but he's, he's very good with, well, and he said to me, here's the thing about credit cards, Frank. If you can't afford whatever it is on the third of the month, you can't afford it on the 30th when it's time to pay the credit card. So don't buy it. If you can't afford it on the third for cash, don't buy it. Mm. So which I thought was, wisdom. and he learned that from a guy. <laughs> wisdom from experience. <laughs> yeah. And he learned that from a guy that uh, he met when he was 13 and hired him to sell pretzels all over Philadelphia. And that was one of the lessons the guy taught him. Look, mm. if you can't afford it on third, you're not gonna be able to afford it on the 30th. So pay cash. And when I buy something now with a credit card, I, I got two travel credit cards, Delta and United. So I buy it on the credit card to get the miles. And then as soon as I get home, pay it off with cash. And the, plus the, it, it also, one of the ideas um, I've heard that, uh, especially in the US, there's a practice of building up your credit score through wisely utilizing your credit cards, where you use the credit card to pay Uh, everything that you need to pay uh, yeah. during the during the month and then when the time comes to pay the credit card you pay it because you you put aside that money and through that process you're actually building up your credit score and then you're able to afford more like a bigger mortgage better uh, and uh, other stuff as well in life yeah and in the u.s and i don't know if they do this everywhere else they take how much uh, i got like fifty-four thousand dollars worth of credit on the card And they take that and they compare it to how much you owe. And you want to be under 30% usage. <laughs> and I was always just above that or worse. Now, when I go to my credit report, it says usage zero. Uh, anything below 6% is an elite status in terms of credit. But I keep ours at zero because I'm paying, constantly paying it off. Mm. And then, then the idea is, You'll get a credit card offer. Like I just got one from Delta for 70,000 miles. If you spend three or $4,000 for three months. So then I use that card to buy everything I'm going to buy, paying it off each time, of course. And then once it hits, whatever the number is, I get my 70,000 miles, cancel the card. <laughs> it's that, it's that credit card miles roulette. You just keep doing that because they'll keep sending them to you. As long as your credit's good. So I've got 232,000 United miles, almost 100,000 Delta miles, thanks to the credit card. You know, the, the Glenn taught me how to do that. 
but the idea, you know, you got to remember, you got to pay it off. And I, now that's number now, one, right? <laughs> well, and it's, it's odd because I really pride myself now on bringing it to zero every month. You know, before 75,000, you know, why, why even worry about it? It's, you know, I'm never going to live long enough to, you know, it's going to be somebody else's problem at some point. But now I'm, I'm keeping it at zero. I'm never going back because I'm 64. My wife's 63. I mean, we're rolling into, you know, retirement years. You don't want to be carrying that. All right, that, that that's an interesting uh, string of thought, uh, which brings to the question, um, do you have something like an ideal life scenario planned out? Or how far ahead do you plan in life? Yes, I have. Um, I, I will probably never retire. Uh, the last recession, we had a million dollars in real estate, you know, uh, some rental properties and such. And we lost it all in the bankruptcy. So that at that moment, retirement for me went out the door. However, my number one goal in life is to make it possible. House paid off, no credit card debt, you know, making good money that my wife can retire and come home and be my chief of staff mm. and selfishly cut the grass and do the grocery shopping. <laughs> and because before the recession, she was, you know, she handled all the business for me. We were, she was a stay at home mom, stay at home. And I'd like to, I don't care if I ever retire as long as she can retire. And then we're never more than arm's length apart unless I'm, flying off to speak somewhere and you know the nice thing about speaking is it's not like digging ditches it's not that physically challenging and by the way um i it amazes me speakers who don't keep themselves in good shape because travel especially international travel is difficult mm. and, and i can't tell you how many times i've been running through an airport in some foreign country trying to make a flight with a you know like a 40 pound pack on my back thinking this is why i work out so I can make, I can Very make that flight. Very yeah. interesting point. Yeah. Cause you know, travel is difficult. And if you're out of shape, you know, like I said, if you're not feeding yourself the proper foods, you're not getting the amount of sleep, you're not exercise. Most of the hotels I go to that have a really nice gym. When I go down to work out, there's probably 2,500 people in the hotel. There are three of us in the gym. You know, it's just, it, it fascinates me. I just, mm. you know, you can't run on fumes forever. So, yeah. Well, all right. So having a plan for never retiring, I believe like, even though you're pivoting and you're touching different ideas and now you're transitioning from speaking due to uh, circumstances into mm -hmm. TEDx coaching, um, you're, uh, you're still like the amount of work that you need to plan during the week is ever growing. What helps you to stay productive like you have glenn to help you manage time uh, yep. are there any other uh, maybe tools or systems or something else that helps you to be productive as you are well and we talked about this off the air that one of my triggers for depression is falling behind on my accounting my whatever and i'm right now i'm way behind on several things so all the only thing that gets me out of bed this is not going to surprise you is i make a list of priorities mm. in the u.s last stimulus package, they had something called the PPP, Payroll Protection Plan. And I applied and I got two and a half months worth of payroll for myself as an entrepreneur. And I need this weekend to apply because it starts out as a loan, but you all you have to do is apply for forgiveness and the bank will forgive the loan. So that's my number one priority today is get the paperwork filled out and sent in so that they will forgive the loan because 
they're probably going to pass another stimulus package today. Mm, an interesting <laughs> another, thought. Okay. Another PPP. <laughs> I want to make sure I've got my, you know, my request for forgiveness in before they fire up another one. Mm. So, so, so maybe a list, list of, of priorities. Yeah. And do you keep it long six. or short or how do you manage it? Three to six things. Um, I got the PPP. I'm going to work on the outline for that course that I'm going to be teaching on getting a TEDx. Um, the accounting is three. I've got some work I need to do in the garage um, because we bought a pellet stove. I don't know if you're familiar with the pellet stove, but it's a wood stove that uses um, these mm, pellets. Yeah. Yep. Um, thank you, State Farm Insurance money. Um, so I got to do that in the garage. Oh, and the house needs cleaning because my wife works full time, drives 45 minutes each way. So I try to keep the house clean. That's five. Seems like there was one more. Oh, a bunch of stuff. I think I told you I bought on Black Friday. Uh, like the MacBook Pro that's still in the box for two weeks. I need to break that out and, and begin to work on getting the information off this computer and onto that computer. Mm. So that's my six things. So now, basically get- six, six productive activities for the day. That's what keeps you productive. And I call it half hour power. I can do almost anything for 30 minutes. Mm. So what I do is I set the timer on my iPhone for 30 minutes. When you and I hang up, I'll start working on the outline for that course on, you know, the video course, mm-hmm. on-demand course for 30 minutes. When the alarm goes off, whichever of the other five I want to do, I spend 30 minutes on. Now, because the, um, the PPP thing will be the next thing I go back to, and then I'll probably do something else after the PPP 30 minutes, but come back to the PPP because that's the most important. Money first. Let's get the mm. thing forgiven. And then work on the course because that's going to be money coming in. Cleaning the garage is not going to make any money. That's something I think that entrepreneurs often do is they're sitting at a desk. There are things they need to be doing to generate money. And they look outside and the grass needs cutting. Well, you know what? I'll cut the grass. I'll come back. in. <laughs> There's always something else you could be doing. So again, you got to be very careful. So that's why you that's a it. really nice idea to the, the previous question where we're talking about uh, making decisions and setting priorities. So money, money making activities, first thing, first, and then everything else, then everything else. If, you, if there's something, you know, um, I, I'm on a couple of electronic digital speakers bureaus. So if somebody posts a, we want a speaker for blank. I fill out all the applications for any of that stuff first because that's potential money coming in. The PPP, I need to get forgiven so I can get the next round. So anything that has to do with money comes first. But again, I'll do, let's say taxes. Um, I'll do a half hour on taxes, then a half hour on something else, come back to taxes. It's so important that I do every other half an hour on that top Mm. item till it's done. Because if I try to sit down and grind out six hours of, you know, I go out of my mind, but 30 minutes, you know, when that thing goes ding, 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 ding. Yes. <laughs> you know, it's wonderful. It, it, that, that's, that's really close to the idea of the Pomodoro uh, technique, right? Where you set a timer uh, for, I think Pomodoro technique looks at 20 minutes uh, okay. or 60. Uh, and uh, you give yourself a break after that. Uh, and uh, also uh, Eben Pagan uh, uses this idea of uh, productivity time where you have uh, basically a time frame of two and a half hours where you put in 55 minutes of productive work on a timer, five minutes break, 
another uh, 50 to 55 to 60 minutes of productive work. And then you have 30 minutes of dedicated rest where you don't do anything, just recharge anything that recharges your energy. And then you can repeat the cycles. And what, what you're saying is a really interesting also a nuance where you're actually resting by switching, right? Resting yeah. by switching priorities and focus. And that helps you to stay mentally fit rather than having that fatigue of doing something for a long period of time. Very interesting. And I'm not beating myself up because the stuff in the garage is not getting done. So at the end of the first half an hour, I can head to the garage and begin those, you know, and, you know, it doesn't take much to where you can begin to see progress in the garage because all of a sudden there's more space. Mm. It's like cutting the grass. The great thing about cutting the grass, when you get done, you look back, it's, you know, you can see where you, you know, you know what I mean? You can see what you've done. You've accomplished because it, it's, you know, it, it's looking good. So, mm. yeah, that's, I think it's, for me, it's, I can do anything, pretty much anything for half an hour. Uh, cool. It's just, yeah. That's a, that's a nice productivity idea. Now, let's look at uh, activities that are, let's say, pivotal to your business growth. As we said, like the money-making activities. And uh, do you have uh, like specific tasks that you do on a monthly or weekly or daily basis that are like non-negotiables for you to grow your business? Can you share with us what, what should people also focus on based on your experience? Well, I, I, I believe everybody should be doing, especially entrepreneurs, at least a couple of guest spots on podcasts in their topic area every week. Mm. Get, get yourself to be a guest to help get your name out there, you know, because and, and you know, the bigger the podcast, the more listeners, subscribers, whatever, the better. But um, there's a thing called um, matchmaker.fm. It's free to make a profile matchmaker.fm. And you type in, I typed in mental searching for podcast mental. And I filled out, you put in a little paragraph why you think you'd be a good guest. And I, I, I filled out the first one that I copied and pasted it into a word doc. So I could just, cut and paste for the next five. So, and I'm talking, you know, uh, to all these podcasters, I'm probably doing half a dozen or more a week um, because they're doing the heavy lifting. They're doing the editing. They, they post it. They send it to me. I put it all over my social media. So I get a real, I get two, you know, two bumps on the SEO because they posted it. I posted it. Mm -hmm. uh, that's one. Second thing is I do press releases that, that actually moves me up the page on, move me up the pages on Google. I'll find a, an article on, let's say, dentists and suicide. Mm. So I'll write a paragraph about it, put the link in the press release. I really enjoyed this article on dentists and mm. I never really, I never quite thought about it this way. And then I put my website link in there, the mentalhealthcomedian.com forward slash dental. And I put a video on there, me talking about suicide prevention and dentists. Because, you know, if there's a video embedded, they're more likely to click on it. And that right there, that's something that Glenn walked me through. He goes, yeah, the podcasts are great, Frank. But what, what can you draw a straight line to that's actually benefited you from an SEO perspective? And it was, it was that doing a press release. I try to do one every day. It's a bit of a grind. But I went from page five on Google for TEDx coaching to the third organic listing on page two so far. And so we're slowly moving up thanks to the press releases. So that, so that's- Did I understand correctly? So the press release is something that you find on your related topic. 
Yep. You give you give a paragraph of comment mm -hmm. and share additional content that you've created connected to that topic and you post it in your blog. Actually, I just write the paragraph about how much I enjoyed their content. I put a link to their content. So it's not like I'm stealing it. I'm putting mm -hmm. an actual link to their content, their post. So yeah, so it's, I don't, I don't, again, I'm, I'm a comedian now. You know, we have no work ethic. Uh, <laughs> I'm not going to write, you know, a blog post. Um, so yeah, so I just, I just find an interesting article and share mm -hmm. an interesting video or whatever. So the it's press called, release is sharing your emotion, your ideas on something that someone else wrote. Yeah. And through that, you're just building, uh, you're sharing valuable, uh, your topic related, uh, like articles, news information for yeah. your readers to get to know about. So basically you're, you're using others content to put on your website. You give a link to it. And people who are in your niche, so you basically you're doing a summary daily of what interesting did you find on your related topic so that others can read it as well. Yes, only and only for my ideal clients, vets, construction, physicians, and dentists. Mm -hmm. And if you if you if whoever's listening right now opens another browser window and types in suicide prevention speakers, that's plural, speakers, dental. They'll, they'll find five or four, five, six, seven organic listings on page I, one. I Google. confirm. I, I checked it in incognito. <laughs> yeah. it, it was so. I found five listings. It's true. Yeah. So that's the bit. And the um, press release service is called expertclick.com. Expertclick.com. I think I pay $59 a month for unlimited press releases. And it's, it's well worth the money. But again, you're, like you said, you're, I'm sharing things I found interesting with people who are in the niche I want to book that I think they will find interesting. Mm. Yeah, nice. I, I rotate. I do dentists, construction, physicians, veterinarian, sometimes safety managers and back mm -hmm. to dentists. So I rotate them so that I'm, I'm doing that. Uh, I did one. I, I think I've got a forward slash osteopath on my website, mental health community forward slash osteopath. And a woman typed in because they wanted to talk about suicide prevention at the convention. She typed in suicide prevention speakers, osteopaths, figuring what are the, what are the odds? And of course, I came up on page one, you know, suicide prevention speakers, osteopath, Frank King, son of a gun. There is one. That's the benefit. And that's what I tell my speakers. Anytime somebody types in your keywords, they can't book you if they can't find you. Mm. So you've got to work really hard with your keywords to make sure you come up. Uh, mm. There's an old joke, Alan, about if, if you wanted to get away from the world, you want to hide from the world where nobody could find you. You know where you'd go? Where? Second page of Google, nobody goes there. <laughs> yeah, that's, uh, that's also one from, you know, experience. <laughs> oh, yes. And, you know, sometimes I'll go a couple of pages deep, but it's rare. Mm-hmm. That's, I believe the only case when you go a couple of pages deep is when you truly need something and you're yeah. tired of seeing paid things, right? And you want to see something that's authentic and on topic, and uh, but not so well known. Then you go deeper, right? Yeah, because it used to be they didn't have quite so many ads at the top of page one, which has pushed some of the content to page two, the organic content. Mm -hmm. So that's that I, I usually go to page two just in case something's been pushed down. Hmm you know, to page two. And if yeah. I really need, like I said, I'll go page three, four, five. Sometimes the TEDx application links, 
I'll go, I'll go down as deep as page six because sometimes however they posted them, they didn't use the keywords properly. So they're not, you know, up front where you would like them to be, but I've found some gold on pages four, five, and six links to application. So very nice. So two key ideas is get booked to be a guest podcaster. Uh, yeah. And second is do daily press releases related to your topic to drive value so that your target audience would through your assistance will find valuable content in your blog. Yes. And the third leg of that still would be have a podcast in your topic area because it's, and when I, when I'm coaching TEDx clients, let's say they have a book. One of my TEDx coaching clients is named Olivia and she came close to killing herself. And then she wrote a book about her near suicide called Live, which is her nickname, Live to Tell. So I said, Liv, do you own the URL for that? I go, I'll wait. Go to GoTeddy and buy the title of the book URL. So that mm -hmm. became her URL. And I said, now that should also be the name of your TEDx, which it is. And then I said, you know, on your social media, it should, every social media platform should have lived to tell so that you begin to brand yourself. Yeah. And your podcast should be called live to tell. And the subtitle of her, of her TEDx is um, depression is only a visitor. Mm. So I said, that should be the subtitle of your TEDx, your book, you know, your whatever. Wonderful. So, Cause I want, to begin to brand them so that if they can't remember her name, you gotta get the woman, the live to tell, just put in live to tell woman and speaker. It'll come up. That's what we're after. Mm. And so that the live to tell becomes her brand wherever she goes. Mm. So yeah, I'll so, say definitely so, have a podcast. Uh, a podcast. Very nice. Uh, let's move to the idea of um, the facts that as solopreneurs, we've touched upon that you already, you have a, uh, let's say trusted people who support um, and uh, Glenn supports you with financial decisions, with timekeeper, like time management. Yeah. Um, in terms of um, not being able to do everything yourself, can you give some tips for entrepreneurs in the area of outsourcing tasks? Yes, uh, and that's one of the things that I've done and I advise my clients to do um, in the pandemic is I've signed up with some marketing outfits that I would never have signed up with if it hadn't been for the pandemic. There's a gentleman who does Twitter for me. What he does, is he reaches out and he has an algorithm, I guess, makes a connection request and it says something on the order of, hi, I've got five TEDx talks. Uh, would you like to have one? Well, let's chat about it over a virtual cup of coffee. And then when they DM me, I'm writing the, you know, my DM. So I know, because most people realize it's an algorithm reaching out, but I respond live right away with a personal note and a calendar link. So he does that for me on Twitter for 50 bucks a month. Uh, and I've gotten a number of clients at $3,997, that's my coaching package price, from 50 bucks a month. And then he said, Frank, would you like me to do it on LinkedIn? I'll do it for a hundred and a half on LinkedIn. What he does on both cases is he goes to the LinkedIn and Twitter, looks in the profiles, the, the algorithm does. Mm -hmm. So you have to determine what your keywords are. What are the keywords in somebody's profile who could hire you or book you or would buy from you? 
and have the algorithm look for those and then attempt to connect. Uh, and I'm very careful. I don't sell anything in that first several rounds. You know, it's just let's do a virtual cup of coffee. Here's my calendar link. The first 30 minutes is free for coaching. So it's all, you know, it's all give value first. So that's probably it's 100 and a half and 50, 200 bucks a month. And I've gotten, I had five or six clients when I started, I've got 13 now. Hmm. Uh, and most of them are paying $3,997. What period of time frame did you manage to do that? Um, I started in March. I think I signed up with him in June for the Twitter and then in August for LinkedIn. And, and it's saving our bacon because what I do is I ask the, the coaching client to put 397 down and give me, I set it up so they get invoiced for 300 a month for 12 months. My unique selling proposition is it's, I call it a till death do us part program. We work an hour a week on zoom, unlimited texts and emails until you get a TEDx or we both die trying. <laughs> That's a nice one. Yeah. And so I'm their TEDx coach for life. And we do speaker marketing along the way so that when we get to TEDx, if they want to speak or they want their game, then we work on make, you know, using that to get them full fee bookings. So I'm just, I'm just going to keep going with them until, you know, they, I said, look, I'll keep going until you call me and go, Frank, stop. I'm too busy. Okay, fine. But yeah, that's some of the best. And here's another one. 98, the number 98, buck, B-U-C-K, like a deer, social, 98bucksocial.com. They post for me on four platforms, Instagram, Twitter, LinkedIn, and Facebook, six days a week, content in my topic areas both mental health speaking and TEDx. And it's, it's, it's content that applies to those two things. Um, six days a week, uh, infographic video, blog posts, you know, uh, whatever they, they find it, they post it. And so that way I've got something on each of those sites, at least once a day, six days a week. And, and I interact if people like it, share it, you know, comment on it. I'm inter constantly interacting with anybody who hits those, posts how do you so do yeah. that that's that's an interesting point that's uh, many people don't actually do that what's your process for the interact like for example you get a like uh, comment of course like you you start engaging with the person but what's what's uh, let's say your algorithm of uh, reaching out to those people well that's that's what 98 bucks social does it must be their algorithm oh i see what you're saying no it, um, i turn all my noti notifications on my phone the the sound that goes off so when I get an Instagram or Facebook or Twitter, you know, hit on something that I'm on it right away and I try to, you know, if they commented, I comment, even sometimes they just liked it or shared it. I certainly, you know, Hey, thanks for the share. Mm, mm. So that, you know, you're getting that engagement and I pay, um, I pay uh, 148 for four social media platforms, six days a week for mental health speaking and 148 same thing for four platforms, six days a week for the TEDx coaching, mm -hmm. which by the way, I got that idea from Glenn. He goes, I understand why you're doing it on mental health speaking with 98 bucks social. How come you're not doing it? <laughs> and then, then a young friend of mine who's helped me with all things digital said, Frank, you know, you really need, um, you need a mental health Facebook page and a TEDx Facebook page and Instagram. So you have, 
so you can separate the marketing mm. so the, the message doesn't get muddied yes so he helped me set up so i have you know have i don't like having a lot of social media pages because it could confuse the public but if they're that you know the if the if the product is that different yeah then then it makes sense because it's easier to market if it's just one thing tedx coaching true so yeah so that's and that so that's 300 bucks a month. Again, I, that way I have a presence every day on four platforms, six days a week. That, that's, that's, uh, that's powerful. And plus it's revenue driving, right? It's not just uh, to spend money. It's actually revenue driving outsourcing, right? Yes. Um, how did you find them? Are there any tips on what did you actually, what steps did you take to find the needed people who are, were right for you? The LinkedIn and Twitter guy. I found when I, I was personally reaching out on LinkedIn every day, looking for people, you know, that, uh, like I said, that have keywords that might use my services. I just happened to bump into him. And he's, he said, no, this is what I do. So I discovered him on LinkedIn, my business coach. The one that said, Frank, I know you're doing TEDx coaching for free and you got to cut that out. I found her and she said, I'd love to do a TEDx. but I don't have the money. I said, I'd love a business manager, but I don't have the money. So that was a marriage made in heaven. Uh, she doesn't pay me and I don't pay her. We just trade ideas back and forth. Uh, 98 bucks social was another comedian podcaster friend. I'm co-host on his show. He goes, Frank, I, I ran into the sink on 98 bucks social. I think you ought to give it a shot. So I did, um, just by happenstance. I don't, I don't know where he, how he bumped into it, but it, it is, it seems to be worth the money to have that kind of presence, especially for a guy who's 64, <laughs> you know, people my age aren't posting on four platforms six days a week uh so it's you know it, it gives me a little younger look oh man he's all over the place dear god how how old is he by um, the way you mentioned one thing uh, when we were um you know in the last conversation how much time do you spend on actually sales and marketing oh yeah because people ask me all the time tell me about your job you know as a speaker and comedian because they figure you spend all your time writing and no i spend I think I told you, I am not really a speaker and comedian. I'm a sales and marketing guy who speaks. I spend 85% of my time on sales and marketing, 5% on writing, 5% on traveling, 5% on performing. You know, people think that my job is to stand up and, and, and speak or do comedy. That's not the job. That's the, that's the fun part. The job is done by that point. I just get to get up and have a good time and entertain the audience. The hard part is, is getting the gig. People often say to me, is it hard to make people laugh? No, I've been able to make people laugh, you know? <laughs> yeah. I mean, for, for me, it's like breathing. Uh, the hard part is getting in front of the people to make them laugh. Beautiful. Powerful. And that's why, that's why I started comedy and then opened my ignite with 30 some odd people. And there are three of us now, 10% still actually making a living speaking or doing comedy because the other, you know, what, 90% didn't have the business savvy mm. to make the sales, to make the thing move, you know, to make the career move forward. You, I mean, you have to have those in the same body or you have to get a manager early. Jeff Foxworthy got a manager early, Steve Harvey. Those guys got a manager very early, a third party. Mm. And it made, and that, that made it easy for them. But if you're managing yourself, you have to manage yourself. 
That's that's um, a beautiful idea that many entrepreneurs forget that they're so passionate about the, the product that they're developing or the service they're providing. They truly forget that the whole foundation of the business being a business and it's actually existing is all about marketing and sales. And if yeah. you don't have that covered, you don't have a business because you don't have clients. And the only way how you can actually get clients in is building a system where either you or you hire someone or you outsource it to someone brings in the clients and then you have a growing business. And that's beautiful that you share that because many people don't realize that it actually takes majority of the time to get yourself out there. And that should be your focus point up until you're able to hire someone else yep. to do that for you. Yeah, and it's it's the being talented and comedians make this mistake all the time. You know, the, of those 30 people that I started with, I was I was not the funniest person there. It's it's but I was one of the three obviously who had enough business sense to I mean I I I was selling insurance at the time when I was building my comedy career. So I was I mean the insurance business trained me. I was the only comedian in the entire group who had business cards stationary. I wrote thank you notes. I asked for referrals. Mm. <laughs> All that insurance training came in very handy. Um, I'll give you an example or two. There's a woman named Rosie O'Donnell, who I think was on was on a number of television shows here in the US, very popular, a great career in comedy. She was not particularly good comedian. She was an amazing saleswoman. Steve Harvey, who is an industry unto himself now, was not a great comic, but man, I mean, he not only, he could, he sold jokes from the stage. The jokes weren't that funny, but the way he sold them, you couldn't help but laugh. So he is successful today, not because he was a great comic and wrote great jokes. He was a great salesperson. That's why he has gone as far as he has. So yeah, it's, it's yeah, there are many people I know far funnier than I am who never, never escaped gravity and made it into the professional comedy ranks because they just didn't have whatever it you know, took to get them. And you have to dedicate yourself. If I'd known how hard comedy was to make a living when I started, I might not have done it. Ignorance. I thought about doing a keynote call. What, what could you do if you didn't know no better? Because I didn't know no better. I just thought I could do this. <laughs> Interesting. Uh, in, in the frame of marketing and sales, let's, um, uh, from your perspective, let's touch on a point. What is the key step in the buyer's journey? And what should we do in that step to maximize it from your experience? Well, on my TEDx coaching, I don't mention pricing generally. Uh, when I do that, that phone call, you know, the free 30 minutes or whatever, I don't limit it. I don't limit it. To, yeah, yeah right. Call. And we chat back and forth. And what I do is I give them enough information that they could actually apply on their own if they wanted to, you know, just enough so they can find a link, you know, some tips on applying a couple of tips on the audition. If they get it, a couple of tips on, you know, if they actually get booked, but I set them up so that if they either don't have the money or don't want to spend the money, then they're ready to go. So it's the old um, give value first mm. without expectation of return. And I don't mention pricing until they ask, well, what do you charge? Bingo. that's that's a that's a good way of uh uh, positioning where uh where you just don't talk about the prices you deliver value you get 
buildup of that, what can you do together? What is possible? What is the journey they can set on? And then they ask yourself, like, what does that cost? Like, I want to do that. Like, that's, that's good. That's good. And it's an old, it's an old saying, an old saw, uh, but they aren't really, because it's not a product, physical product per se, they're, they're really buying me. Mm. You know, so all that time we're chatting, I'm not, I'm not intentionally selling myself. I'm just being myself. And, you know, if they like you, uh, the, uh, there's a sales guru named Jeffrey Gittimer. He says, all things being equal, people do business with people they know, like, and trust. All things being unequal, people do business with people they know, like, and trust. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, I charge a lot of money and they can get it cheaper probably somewhere else. But, you know, I just, I, again, I wait for them to, and if, if, if they don't want to buy, that's fine. I, I leave them with enough information. They could actually go out. And usually I offer, I go, look, let me send you a couple of links. Fill out the application. Hit me back on Zoom. We'll screen share. I'll show you how to fill out the app. No charge. And, you know, just kind of planting seeds and maybe down the road. The course I'm doing for speakerflow.com. It's a speaker consulting company. 249 bucks. But it's, you know, it's, it's going to be designed in such a way I'm going to give them a ton of information. So hopefully about halfway through, they're going to go like, man, this is way too difficult. I need to get some individual coaching. Mm. Again, give them something up front, reasonably priced. And maybe they'll, you know, if they've got the dough, they'll opt for some individual coaching. That, that, that's, 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 that's an interesting perspective. Like uh, Gary Vaynerchuk tells it about it all the time. He says like 99% of people who get your free stuff, they get all your wisdom and that you share for free without any expectations or any requests from your side. They won't do anything with it. There will be people, the, the 1% that will actually use that knowledge and they, they will thank you later or attribute you to their success. Mm -hmm. And that's wonderful. That's a great testimonial. There will be people yeah. who say that it's too hard and I don't want to engage you in it and they will do nothing in their life. And then mm -hmm. there will be those people who say, that's so hard. Can you do it for me or teach me how to do it? A young woman that I met on LinkedIn, because uh, she's a speaker and author. My LinkedIn keywords are people who would want a TEDx. Speaker, mm. author, coach, Toastmaster, John Maxwell, speaker. I, I bumped into her and she said, oh, Frank, I wish I bumped into you two weeks ago. Because I'd mentioned I was a TEDx coach. She goes, I just paid a company $4,800 to get a TEDx. And I said, what? What does that mean to get? Like to get booked? To get booked on a TEDx stage. In other words, they're going to walk her through the finding the links, filling out the application, audition. I had no idea that people would pay that kind of money. So immediately... I bumped my price from whatever I was charging, like 150 bucks an hour to 39.97 because she said she was paying $4,800 for it. So I owe her a lot. And I've told her more than once, Amy, I owe you. I can never pay you back. Cause I mean, people are sending me money every month. Thanks to you. She applied for the TEDx 80 times, eight, zero, no callbacks, no auditions, no TEDx with this other company. She called me crying. She said, Frank, I've applied 80 times. I got nothing. I said, Amy, you have a best-selling book on that topic. 
that you're going to do a TEDx on. I mean, it's on Amazon. It's a bestseller. And you're in a category that's tough. I said, and it's a good idea. I said, let me see the application, the stuff you're putting in the blanks. Hmm. And there was nothing wrong with it. I's were dotted, T's were crossed, but it just didn't sing. I mean, it wasn't particularly creative. Mm. So I said, do you mind if I work it over? She goes, no, what I got to lose? So I worked it over, added my little, you know, special flourishes here and there. Create, I believe creativity is important because they get hundreds of applications. Within five applications, she got TEDx Boston. Nice. And of course, I didn't charge her anything for that. I just did it because she had helped me out. And she did a testimonial for me and she sent me some, some potential clients. So I, no, I didn't get any money up front from Amy, but I got a ton and continue to get a ton because I, you know, I helped her and she helped exchange me. Exchange of value. Yeah. yeah. Exchange of value. So, uh, yeah. So it's, it's, uh, yeah. It's, so she did there. When I found out people charge $4,800, first of all, $4,800 is an ugly number that who markets at $4,800. $39.97. That sounds like something's on sale. Uh, and it's less than $48. So I, and I can get by on $39.97. So uh, anyway, yeah, that's it's very again, interesting. Bumped in, bumped into I had eleven thousand LinkedIn connections when the um, pandemic started. I just cracked twenty thousand. Mm. And the that last nine thousand are all targeted to my keywords. Mm. So the first 11, I'm not sure exactly who those people are, but, but the next 9,000 and it's my work and the guy that I pay 150 bucks a month to reach out to connect on LinkedIn mm-hmm. every day. So very nice. So the, the key idea here. So most important step is delivering value and maximizing conversion in that step is actually delivering the value that is valuable to your potential client and from there you will get all the opportunities that you deserve for the yeah. value you provide and you know again i'm selling myself really although i'm not consciously selling myself you know because people ask me i mean how does this work and i said you know the coaching i go it works just like this we just converse back and forth i don't have a workbook forms you know i mean it <laughs> so i have a course you know mm. i will have um with the recorded course it will be much more structured. Has to be. I'll have an outline. I'll have links to share. You know, I'll do screen share and say, you know, go here and click on this and so forth. But yeah, but most of my coaching is just like this. I just, you know, it comes into my head and then I go, hey, wait, that's a great idea. Write that down. Mm. Yeah. So it's you know it's a little different than you know I, I I'm too lazy to make you know a, a book coursework. I, nobody alan here's the deal nobody goes into comedy because they have a great work ethic i mean think about it you're working 45 minutes a night <laughs> yeah well, that's not wait, wait, wait. that's actually i want to touch upon this topic like uh what we uh this was one of the biggest lessons that i learned through uh, one of um one of my leaders uh who was uh helping me uh in uh in my employee job she said to me when you're working, it's not on, you should charge not only for the time that you actually perform the job for the client. Oh, yeah. You're working oh, when you're traveling to do that job. You're working mm-hmm. when you're preparing to do that job. 
you're working when you're wrapping up that job so that you can have everything not like noted down to have future results with the client. So the work process isn't just the one hour or 40 minutes of speaking, it's of writing, it's the mental process. Actually, this is something that a lot of entrepreneurs forget that uh, when we are actually working, it's uh, what's the most valuable for uh, any kind of entrepreneur, it's time. Yeah, and that's all you got. And that's all you got. And where you focus on, what you focus on, that's where you're spending your time on, right? And if you're focusing at this point of time on a potential client or an, at a client that you need to speak with in a week, but you're actually investing your focused time right now into him you're also working and we uh, no one teaches us to understand that where our attention goes right this second is is the work time right and if we are at this moment not here and now uh, with our let's say relatives family friends taking care of ourselves but we're thinking about our clients or our work we're working right and yeah. uh, and we're missing that point and we're thinking that okay as coaches, uh, we're only working at the time we're booked, right? The, the only one hour that, uh, or like three hours a day. But truth be told, we need to have a whole process to make that happen, right? Uh, we have to sell, we have to market, we have to write, we have to prepare, we have to invest like even 15 minutes to maybe prepare for the call or invest like 15 minutes to write everything down after the call. Mm -hmm. And then we, don't forget, in the evening, we might even have an hour of reflection on the call. And that's all time. That's our focus time, right? That's where we focus. And that's also work. So we need to understand what's the value uh, of focus, right? Focus time, we invest into a certain activity and then see how, how much does it take up. And then that's the real time that we're investing into doing that. And as you said, right, as a comedian, we are lazy. Like, okay, all the other time is perceived just as le leisure time, right? Just relaxing. Yeah. Like, what, what? We're just writing, like just creating, yeah. right? Yeah, it's it's been, um, for comedians forever, I'm sure this has been an issue, is that when you get up on stage, I make it look easy, which leads people to believe that, you know, well, you're just up there talking. <laughs> yeah, but, you know, it's like being an airline pilot. You know, the pilot really only takes the plane off and lands the plane. In between time, the autopilot is flying the thing. But, you know, it's his responsibility or her responsibility at that stick to get it up in the air and back down safely. And that's when you're a speaker. There's no band. There's no lyrics. It's just you and a microphone. And it's the, all those people are staring at you. It's you, you're like the pilot. It's your responsibility to land that speech. That's what they're paying you for is the ability to land that speech. The, um, the, on the ships, I used to say, I'd fly to Tahiti from Seattle, 14 hours in coach. I'd say to the audience that night, look, you're not paying me for the jokes. No, you paid me to sit and coach for 14 hours. The jokes are free. <laughs> you know, come to my living room. I'm not going to charge you anything. Um, the, I think that's what people misunderstand. I have a range, a speaking fee range for a reason. It's 7,500 to 15,000. And people say, well, what's the difference? Well, 
if if you're in Portland, which is two hours away, Oregon, then you know probably close to 7,500 because I can drive up to this beach, come back, sleep in my own bed. If you're in New York, well, I got to spend a day on the road traveling to get there. I got to spend a day on the road flying back. I said, you know, if it's the summer when nobody's conventioning, I'll cut you a deal. But if it's September to May when everybody's conventioning, it's going to be close to retail. So, and the client will say to me, were you 7,500 for 45 minutes? Well, no, you're buying the day because it's a, it's a day on my calendar. I can't sell it to anybody else if I sell it to you, plus the two travel days. I said, and here's the deal. You're not paying me for 45 minutes. You're paying me for the day. So if you want me to do a keynote in the morning, two breakouts in the afternoon, hell, I'll even acid wash the swimming pool at the hotel if, you, if you'd like. Wait tables that night. I'm yours for the day for that money. So do whatever you like. It's like, think- it's like the story of the, I think it was with Picasso where he was sitting in a cafe uh, minding his business and a lady comes up and says, draw my portrait. And he's like, okay, I can do that. And he spends five minutes, draws the portrait, hands her the, the paper. He's like, oh, wow, how much, how much do I need to pay? And he said like a huge sum. Uh, and she's like, well, you just spend five minutes. And she's like, I prepared for those five minutes, 50 years of my life. Yeah, physician, same thing. You don't get paid the 15 minutes, took out your appendix. It's all the time in medical school and residency and internship. And yeah, I mean, people... I love to surprise people with my, um, I'm a doctor. I make, you know, uh, $500 an hour. Really? I'm a speaker. I make 7,500 to 15,000 in 45 minutes. <laughs> and again, they're not paying me for the, they're paying me for the seven years of beer bars and pool halls and honky tonks and, you know, all that, all that time in service. So when your marketing manager gets drunk and screams at me that I can withhold fire because the comic in me would just love to leave a smoking hole where his chair was. And I got the heckler lines to do it. But because you're paying me that kind of money, I'm just going to smile and, you know, and, and poke back gently because I could take him down. Trust me. Uh, but uh, yeah, you know, I, that probably wouldn't get paid. But uh, yeah, As a matter of fact, I tell the meeting plan, you're not paying me for the jokes I tell. You're paying me for the jokes I don't tell and the wisdom to know the difference. Oh, that's a good one. <laughs> yeah. Well, because, you know, there's a tip for you is you have to have their, you have to take their interest in consideration. Mm-hmm. So when they say we're paying you how much for 45 minutes of just jokes, I go, no, you're not paying me for the jokes I tell. You're paying me for the jokes I don't tell. What you're truly paying me for is to make sure when I get done with my job, you still have a job. Oh, that's, that's a drop of the microphone right there. <laughs> yeah, because yeah. That, that's, that resonates, you know, because you put a, a microphone in a comedian's hand, they can do a lot of damage in a very short period of time mm. and cost somebody who booked them a job. Mm. So that's why people paid me so much money to do stand-up comedy. Oh, that's, clean you just them. gave me a beautiful idea of the value. I was I was just working uh, on helping my wife to... Uh, she's also a private practitioner, a psychotherapist. And uh, basically, we're working on uh, putting her out there and letting people know that she she's building a practice in Europe. And uh, the idea here, you're, just the, the fact here, you're not paying me to just for the time or jokes i tell but you're actually paying me for not getting fired and this is the same thing you're not paying me just for the hour of psychotherapy you're paying for not being even more broken by the end of it <laughs> with not yeah. non-quality psychiatrists and so yes. psychologists and so on 
That's a big one. That's a yeah. big one. They're paying her, um, not not just for what she says, but what she doesn't say. You know, the, the misinformation or or just stating her opinion or you know whatever mm. whatever. Because you know that's I mean, powerful. That's yeah, very powerful. You know, I, I believe that every listener can apply the same idea to their business. Is it's not about the time. It's not about the, the, the end product, but it's about all of the experience that you do and the competency and the level of service that you are able to provide through everything that you are, you yeah. uniquely are. Yep. And again, that goes back to being passionate about whatever it is and, 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 and it being your purpose in life. You know, I mean, when I talk to my coaching clients or when I'm talking to a speaking potential client, you know, I mean, I, I'm confident. Somebody said, how'd you pick suicide prevention as a topic? Well, here's the deal. The topic picked me. It's not something I bolted on or chose. I mean, nobody wants, it's a club nobody wants to join, mm. but here I am. So you might as well, it's, it, as a friend of mine said, it's your gift and your curse. Mm. It's both, but you have taken it and you have taken the gift and you share the gift with other people. Mm. Mm. Powerful. So it's, yeah. Let's uh, let's lightly touch uh, on uh, the topic of surrounding. It's been throughout the talk, uh, in and out, um, about what, how. Oh, okay, I'll phrase it in another way. Uh, you you mentioned tons of people uh, through your life, especially after what happened, um, that were supporting you and your supporting mm-hmm. network for the people that are out there and uh, are working alone on their business um, are actually in a position where they uh, cannot speak to their family. They cannot speak to their friends because they just don't get them or they're toxic or negative or whatever. They are alone. Can you give some ideas of what can they introduce into their life into their surrounding uh, that can uh, be their support network in the upcoming year? Well, I think if you are in a particular occupation and there are groups of people who, who are also in that occupation, perhaps in an association of like-minded people, I would recommend, let's say, um, you know, the American Nurses Association. Join the, uh, join the association, volunteer for a committee, get involved with your peers, uh, people facing the same sort of issues you're facing. In the United States, and they probably have these around the world, um, and I'm a speaker for them, um, it's uh, Vistage, Vistage, V-I-S-T-A-G-E, Vistage Speakers. Vistage groups are groups of CEOs who join because there are other CEOs in the group, and a lot of them are solo entrepreneurs. So there's nobody else in the C-suite but them. And you, you know, who do you go to with your problems? You really don't go to your like the like the company's business manager mm-hmm. or accounting manager. You want to talk to somebody else who is at your level in mm-hmm. the C-suite, a CEO, and because you know, I'm, I'm sure the some problems recur for just about it. There's HR problems and supply Definitely. problems. Yeah. And financial problems. So you, you get together and they get together once a week. They bring in a speaker like me and, you know, a professional speaker that, do, that does three hours and some Q&A training on a wide variety of topics that are important to the CEOs. So 
that's and they formed those groups because the CEOs are pretty much, especially if they're solo entrepreneurs, alone. And and who do you talk to? And who understands what you're going through? But your fellow CEOs, and they support one another. So that so I would say association membership, um, something like Vistage, and there are several groups. There's another one I can't think of the name, but I signed up with them as well. Um, another where it's the leadership of a business, oftentimes solo entrepreneur, uh, community groups, Rotarians, Kiwanis. I don't know in Europe if they have community service group. Well, they must have Rotary. They got Rotary everywhere. Mm. Rotarians. It's a group that does community service. It's of a wide variety of businesses, mostly business owners. And again, you can get involved, join a committee, and there'll be people with whom you can share your issues because they probably have similar issues. I would say, yeah, you got to have to seek out your own. Um, mm. I do a crazy coffee clutch once a month or so when, when you can actually do that here, go out and get coffee with a half a dozen people who are mentally ill. We get together for coffee. We take off our game faces that we show the world and everybody else. We just be ourselves for an hour because everybody accepts everybody else. It's kind of like peer, peer counseling almost. Mm. And we share stories and frustrations and, you know, resources. And because it's not the kind of thing you have a conversation with a neuronormal person about because they're not going to understand any of it. And then at the end of the hour, we put our game faces back on, get back in the car and drive back out into you know the public and pretend nothing is wrong. So, I think it's a, it's a matter of finding like-minded people, perhaps in the same industry or with Rotary in a wide variety of in- industries, business owners, same with Vistage, wide variety of, of industries, but you're all CEOs, mm. all have the same, you know, a lot of the same issues. Chamber and what they do of is- Commerce also. Chamber of Commerce. Uh, and in Vistage, they divide it by gross receipts. So a million dollars and under gross receipts mm. is one group. A million to five million is another group. So that way you're, you know, all the CEOs are roughly at the same level in each, you know, so they're the problems they have are like the problems the guys sitting next to them have. I think it's a brilliant idea. Yeah. Just definitely. for somebody to balance ideas off. Hey, anybody ever done this? You know? So, yeah. And uh, also one of the things that uh, people can potentially do is uh, look for the same Facebook groups, right? Yes. LinkedIn and Facebook groups. Yeah, I would say Facebook groups are, are a fabulous way of doing it. I'm in a podcast Facebook group, Podcast Collab Club. I joined the podcast club, and I think I paid $49 for the year, but you don't have to pay. You can join for free. And they got a Facebook group. And man, every day there's somebody new posting, looking for guests or two guests. And a lot of them, just by chance, my topic it fits, you know, with what they're doing. So it's a great way, you know, for people in the podcasting and we share tips on podcasting and microphones and, you know, is anybody on anchor and, you know, that kind of thing. So it's, mm. it's a great way to, and one of my clients is transgender and he formed a transgender Facebook group. And all of a sudden people are asking him, do you do trans coaching? Mm. So he said, of course, yes. <laughs> so because it's such a difficult transition, not only for the person transitioning, but even more so for the parents. Most of his coaching clients, trans coaching clients, are moms dealing with a child changing sex. He said, Frank, because it's almost like losing a child. I mean, it's, it can be very traumatic. And 
I help, I help walk them through the process. And of course, when he told me he was charging 50 bucks an hour, I said, man, that's got to stop. You need to be charging $250 an hour. And if they can't afford you, just create a sliding scale so that nobody's turned away. But if they got the dough and you say 250 and they say, fine. <laughs> so again, he didn't see it was worth that much, but I saw immediately that's a niche. How many trans coach? I've never even met another trans coach. Um, so yeah. And again, again, that, that he doesn't have to think really because he's been through it from age 13 on. So it's all organic to him. Yeah. It's once not, again, supporting the idea that you lived through what you need to tell and yes. what you need to work them out. Yeah. And so he's got a nice little practice going uh, in trans coaching and he, and he feels like he's really helping people because he knows how difficult it was for him. Mm. It was more difficult back then because there weren't that many resources. Now there are more resources, still a difficult transition. Mm. So um, Very yeah, tough. you know, he found a niche and he dived into it. And now thanks to me, he's charging what he's worth. One question additionally to about uh, the feel of self-worth and um, an idea of um, those different levels of income. Um, would you say like when you were uh, like breaking through those levels that are typically uh, perceived like five, 5k a month, 10k a month, 15k a month, like 50k a month, if you've been there, uh, did you feel different as a person altogether as compared to when you were making like uh, low, low income or average income? Um, did it like, did self-perception and did your uh, life drastically change or what was it like? Well, and again, if you've been listening to us this entire time, you know that I never do anything until somebody else points it out. <laughs> I, got, I was charging $3,500 for a speech and a speaker bureau called me, a guy named Chris. He goes, Frank, look, I'd love to book you. I got a guy who does exactly what you do. I'm not fond of him. I'd rather not book him. I'd rather book you, but he charges $5,000 and I make 30%. So that's $1,500. You charge $3,500. So I'm going to get less commission booking you than him. So you need to raise your price to five grand. Okay. So <laughs> I bumped into me at least $5,000. And then I helped a young woman with a TEDx. And when we got done, she goes, what's your fee? I said, $5,000. She goes, no, no, you are worth far more than that. You need to bump it immediately to 7,500. Beautiful. And then another friend of mine said, and make it a range to 15,000. So I have no problem charging. I have no psychological problem. Life didn't get better or worse. I didn't feel, I do tell people, if you're going to raise your price, practice in the mirror. So when it rolls off your tongue, it truly rolls off your tongue. You know, 7,500, 7,500 to 15,000, you know. With them, I go, look, it's 5K, 5K plus travel, 5,000 plus travel, five grand plus travel. Make sure it just rolls off your tongue. But yeah, now I will say this. Last January and last February, I've never made 15,000, but I did make two $10,000 speeches. And when they hand me a check for $10,000, it was slightly surreal. I mean, to have somebody to do 45 minutes and have somebody hand you a check for $10,000, it, it'll take your breath away. <laughs> but I didn't feel like I'd, you know, that I had somehow shorted them or taken advantage of them. I thought, you know what, given my life experience, like you talked about, given all I've been through, 
that that's really what they're paying me for, not mm. pulling the trigger when I had the gun in my mouth, but be able to tell you what that's like. So yeah, I, I, uh, I mean, to overcome it. Yeah. And so, you know, it's, I'm glad to be at that level of income. And I tell my speakers, look around, see what everybody else is charging in your space and set your prices accordingly. But 5,000 mm. is kind of the bottom line for me. That's kind of where beginning speakers start in the U S 5,000 U S. Mm. <clears throat> yeah. So basically I mean, your life as, as a perception, right? Uh, you're still the same person. Even though yeah. you are making much, much more than you were, you're, you're still the same guy. You still feel the same. You still think the same. And the rise in income didn't really impact who you are. No. And one of the greatest compliments you can get as a speaker, and I've had people say this to me, or a comedian, they see you on stage. And then later you bump into them someplace, you know, at the convention or on the ship, and you're chatting away. And they stop and they go, you know what? You are the same person here that you were up there. I go, yeah, it took me a long time to get to that. But yeah, I am the same guy regardless. You know, it's, it's about finding your voice. You're and authentic. Self-awareness, right? All about yeah. self-awareness, knowing yourself and who you are and being authentic and truthful about it authentic authenticity is what they you know being vulnerable being authentic mm. now i will tell you this and i have a very rare i have actually three mental health issues depression suicidality and i have what i believe is called reverse imposter syndrome imposter syndrome means as you probably know that you've achieved all these things but you you don't feel like you really deserve them and that somebody's going to figure out at some point a phd you're going to have to give that back because you don't deserve that well reverse it i didn't i didn't i didn't know i didn't know imposter syndrome existed until i went on a podcast and we talked about it and i said to the host i think i have reverse imposter syndrome and he goes what are you talking about i go i i know i'm fabulous i'm just waiting for everybody else to discover that to find me out you know i'm famous just nobody knows so that's, beautiful yeah, that's, that's that's you know that, that's a great way to live life because we are all beautiful we are we all deserve that in our life yeah. i have no doubt that i'm worth every penny of what what whether i was charging 150 bucks to do a one-nighter in a beer bar in a pool hall or whether i'm getting ten thousand dollars to do a keynote you know at a at a convention that's I don't have any psychological problem. You know, wow, you only, you, you made 150 and you're happy. You made 10,000 and you're happy. Yeah. You know, it's just, I'm happy to be doing what I'm doing mm. is the key. Wonderful. So let's wrap, wrap this conversation up with one key idea. Can you, what can you um, give to the audience in terms of advice that they can do right now? Uh, to make the most out of 2021 in their business? I think it's what you and I talked about. I think it's time to, to take an inventory um, of what you've been doing and, and ask yourself, as we talked about with individuation, is who you are really who you are? Is there something that you'd rather be doing that you could actually make a living at and that you could perhaps over time, not don't give up your day job, but, uh, you know, over time, take it on as an avocation and see if it's for you and slowly, but surely work yourself out of whatever you're doing. That's really not what you should be doing. Hmm. And bear in mind doing this. And, and, uh, Alan, I talked about this 
there are people around you who are happy with you doing what you're doing, even though it ain't what you should be doing. So there may be collateral damage. If you can get them on board, and I always advise that before you make a big change, you know, broach the subject with them. Listen, I'm not really happy doing this. I'm going to start doing this part-time. And if it works out, I'm going to go full-time. I just want you to know that so you don't get blindsided by it. Um, so yeah, I would say, you know, take stock, see if where you are is where you should be. And then if not, now's the time with the world in flux. Hmm. And especially in the U.S., they're going to pass another supplemental unemployment bill probably today, 300 a week from the feds plus whatever you can get from the state. So it's a good time to use government money to begin to make that transition. And plus making that transition, you will impact much more people and do will do much more greater good for yourself yes. and for the community. I tell speakers, because most of my speakers, whatever they're going to be speaking on, have the potential to change, if not save lives. You know, because you you're, you're giving people information they may not have, may not even have considered. They may just think they're alone in whatever situation they're in. And when you speak and you let them know, no, you're not alone. I have the same issue. That's that's powerful. Mm, wonderful. Frank, thank you for being a guest on this episode. We've talked through a lot of things. We shared a ton of value. I believe that um, a lot of people needed to hear what you have to share. And as well as I recommend everyone to follow Frank King on all so social media platforms of choice. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. And uh, yeah, I will. you can find more information on how to find Frank in the description to this episode. Otherwise, thank you, Frank, for your time. And I wish you all the best uh, in the holiday coming and the years coming as well. Well, and I got a question for you. When you started, you said this is the second episode. Am I on your second episode? Yes. Oh, this, I'm, I'm thrilled. I, I'm yeah, delighted. That's, that's, that's a relaunch. I've been thinking about launching my podcast for already two years. Whoa. Uh, and uh, like... After several changes of uh, direction, I finally understood that it's time and I'm ready. I have everything I need. And I just gave it a shot. I just uh, made a call out that I, I, I need people to share their message. And you were one of the first to, uh, to shout out at me. And I'm really glad that we are here and having this conversation. Well, let me leave you with one thought. And this is, I don't know if they think about this, think it, think this way around the world, but there's an expression in the US when it comes to, you know, for about two years, I was thinking about doing a podcast. Uh, here's something I live by. Implement now, perfect later. I believe every single listener now has to write that down for themselves as well. Yeah, it, it's right. I, I believe that's a bitch for every single person out there. Yeah. We so struggle with uh, perfectionism and the, the ideas of not taking action where it's just so simple, small steps that get you going. Yep. Implement now, perfect later. Wonderful. It's been Frank King. Thank you for tuning in and have a great day. <laughs>